Are you drinking Earl Grey? Of course. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Gathering Space. In this episode, we continue our year one, month one exploration of our first house concerns and how matters of the first house are felt by us in terms of access and connection to life force and vitality. Okay, hi. <sighs> Goodness, how are you? Mm. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> We've got to live and to love and to pay the rent. While we're waiting for more clarity on how to do that without destroying everything, we're going to spend some time making this podcast. We're here to heal our stories around worth, work, and making ends meet. Maybe you'd like some of that too. If healing justice is your thing, if in your heart there's no creativity without accountability, if a little tenderness around living, loving, and paying the rent is needed, then you're welcome here to gather a little space too. If you are new to Gathering Space, you may want to jump back two episodes to get a sense of the project as a whole, or visit our website at www.gatheringspacepodcast.com and click on the project link. Also, in exciting news, you can now subscribe to the Gathering Space Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. If you like what you're listening to, if this project resonates in some way, we'd really appreciate any time you make to rate and review this little show. I don't really understand the algorithm, but I certainly appreciate the feedback. In this episode, you'll hear a conversation between myself and renowned healer and teacher of healing and meditation, Jennifer Atta. Jennifer is the progenitrix of Tidal Heart Healing, an energetic healing modality which is committed to serve the work of healing by restoring connections that enliven and reactivate one's agency in all manner of body, mind, spirit, and life. Jennifer and Tidal Heart are not interested in fixing body minds or models of healing that seek conformity to normative and neurotypical standards as preferred or aspirational. Jennifer and Tidal Heart Healing are committed to serving our collective liberation by learning, embracing, practicing within, and striving toward a consent-based anti-oppressive framework. Jennifer is gifted and practiced in her work. I was honored to consider her my teacher as I began learning the Tidal Heart Healing modality and am blessed to call her my friend. Please accept this offering of conversation and a guided meditation as you join Jennifer and I today in Gathering Space. Jennifer and I took a little bit of time to ramp into our conversation, so I'm going to cut us right to the place where Jennifer, in her own words, describes her work. You know, there's a lot that I do, but I think um, what I will say now is that under Neath all that I see and all that I help to release in others, um, there's a strong desire to um, help people empower themselves and feel empowered and also um, for people to really understand and know that they are really beautiful and amazing and worthy of love exactly as they are, that they do not need fixing, um, but that they are a beautiful, incredible human. That's lovely. <laughs> and such an accurate description of your work. 
Thank you. Mm. We're not big on fixing over here either. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's such, it becomes such um, an aggressive thing that we do um, to ourselves. And it's a very common reason why people come to me in the first place is this um, feeling of needing to be fixed and this feeling of not feeling okay with themselves the way they are. Um, so I really believe that our liberation lies in, at least in part, in unlocking that. Mm. I'm nodding, which doesn't, it doesn't go over well in a podcast, but we're video conferencing, so I'm nodding and I'm realizing that's not going <laughs> to so just say that out loud. <laughs> Jen and I met through a mutual friend uh, who I'm sure will appear on a later episode of this podcast. Um, And after meeting, um, Jen and I did some work together. And then I studied with Jen for a year. Um, And during that year, really, really uh, pushed hard against these questions about like fixing and empowerment and um, kind of it. I guess sort of rather than necessarily doing all of my own interrogating around that, I was kind of offloading some of my personal work on that onto you because I needed you to prove to me that you were for real when you said that. Um, And you did every time. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But that dynamic of learning got me to thinking about, um, like that that's an externalized dynamic of the fix it dynamic internally um the the prove it the need for proof the need for evidence Uh Mm -hmm. Um, so i will know i am fixed when x y and z has happened and it's usually an accomplishment related orientation as opposed to a feeling related orientation or if it is a feeling related orientation that feeling is expressed as an outcome so I know I am fixed when I feel happy all of the time or I know I am fixed when I no longer struggle with depression or I know I'm my anxiety has mystically disappeared Um, and one thing that I really appreciated about your work and continue to appreciate and appreciate about your work and our friendship is that you so firmly solidly appreciate the value of experiences that are pathologized um Mm. and and you do it in a way that isn't about making those experiences inherently transcendent or inherently uh uh, meaningful but that they can be mined for meaning and that they can be used for growth um, in ways that can orient a person toward an alignment with a wider range of their own possibility or my own possibility. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that a lot about your work. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, and I appreciate your ability to put into words. I appreciate it every time you pushed against <laughs> because it forced me, I, you, as you know, words I often say are not my first language. So for me to have to put things into words is slightly torturous. Um, So I've always, but also very necessary. Um, So I've always appreciated that. Mm. 
<laughs> well, I'm really glad. Um, my eldest child uses the word torturement instead of torture. And so I was just thinking how I'm putting you through supreme torturement right now, because not only are you wordsing, but I didn't prep you with questions. It's like early in the morning. We both had a rough morning, like <laughs> supreme torturement. Yeah. No, it's good. It's good, right? If I can pull it off now. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's perfect. Spending time with you is never torturement. <laughs> okay. Well, that's a relief. Um. <laughs> <laughs> um. Okay. So this month in the series, <laughs> we are talking about the, 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 the first house, the astrological first house. This is our focus for the month. And um, in this project, um, let me pause. Pausing doesn't work on a podcast either. I can see why so many podcasters have like a YouTube channel to go with their podcast now. I get it. That's not happening this year, by the way, but okay. Uh, so <laughs> one thing I uh, learned in your healing modality when I studied with you and one of the most uh, profound and, and powerful things that I learned was actually what it felt like to be grounded. People throw that word around. Uh, it, it's a weaponized word. It's like gratitude, like get grounded. Yeah. <laughs> grateful. <laughs> what are you yeah. attracting? You know what I mean? And, yeah. and so the very good intention uh, of all these things gets kind of muddied into this, uh, yeah, weapon. So, you know, I'm pathologized in a way that my... Um, might leave me less inclined to be grounded if left to my own devices. <laughs> or really, actually, I'm quite grounded, just not necessarily to this planet. So... <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> so I remember on the very first weekend of the year of study that we did in the, in the nine-month healer course one of the very first um, activities that we did together was you took us through this very deliberate grounding cord meditation. Mm -hmm. And I have had a, a number of energetic healers and uh, friends who have been able to help me ground, but I had never prior to that had the experience of being able to intentionally ground myself or tether myself to this planet. Mm -hmm. I've had experiences of groundedness, but I would come across them as like, oh, gravity, that's neat. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. So um, in your healing modality, there is um, an opening ritual wherein we bring up earth energy through our feet into the heart and we bring spirit mm -hmm. energy down in through the crown to the heart. And that's where earth energy and spirit energy meet. Uh, and the human yes. heart is one of the few places where those energies can meet and also can mix with heart energy to become what it is we're all here to do collectively. Yeah. And from that model, actually, uh, I came to an understanding of the, the 12 astrological houses. Um, mm. that, was, that was kind of a new way to sort of feel them for me. So in this first month, in the first house, which... The concern of the first house is 
you know, the birth of the uh, individual whose chart it is. And I know in astrological language, the word for that person is the native, but I think in these post-colonial times or enduring colonial, like it's colonization has not ended. Uh, we cannot say the native in astrology. And I understand that a chart is yes. called a nativity and I understand it simply refers to birth, but it is a loaded term. And I, I think that we can do better as astrologers at this time, yes. but I don't have a better word to offer. So this is why I'm offering this cumbersome sentence anyways. The first house, the province of the first house, is the birth of the person whose chart is being read. It is the circumstances of their uh, body, their life force. Of um, it, it gives the the sort of base work uh, in terms of what uh, gifts uh, and challenges that might be utilized uh, in order to move through the rest of life. Uh, and also it's the, it's the, in, in, in the whole sign house system, the first house is almost always, I think always, but I want to leave like a millimeter for the Holy Ghost on that one because I'm not hundred percent sure, but almost <laughs> always the province of the ascendant, which is the moment of birth. Um, in other house systems, the ascendant marks the start of the first house. So that is one right. difference between uh, whole sign house system and other house systems. Anyways, um, so <laughs> when I was preparing my notes for this podcast, uh, when I was kind of planning the whole structure of it, because I'm a really big structure-oriented person, even though I, I rebel against structure <laughs> in such a profound way. I, I think I just don't like structure being imposed, but I really admire elegant structure like a jungle gym that I can play in. Anyway, um, <laughs> one thing that I sat with when I sat with each of the houses was I, I was curious about how I would describe the houses because of course in each house I can give the astrological descriptions like I did just now. I can give these keywords or phrases um, and yeah, forgive me astrologers. Like I know that was inelegant. I know, I know, um, but we're just going with it. Um, but I wanted to be able to offer something, uh, I guess, another, another consideration. And so I asked Spirit about it, and Spirit was like, listen, you already have this access to this uh, knowledge. You do this every day. And I was like, oh, yes, I do. And I realized that for each house, the earth energy that we draw through our feet and the spirit energy that comes um, from above articulates specifically and differently in each of the 12 houses. And mm. so in the first house, the, the energy that comes from spirit, this is our life force. We, this is what we receive. It's our life force. We can nurture it. We can care for it. We can tend it, but we can't actually do much about uh, changing it. Like we can honor it. Uh, and that can make a big difference to how we feel it or access it, but it, it is what is given or it is what we are born into. Um, and it can be, let me be clear, it can be highly, highly, and is often highly, highly constrained by certain social circumstances or, um, hegemonies, uh, oppression, you know, uh, so you can have ample, ample life force, but if your life force is being funneled through, uh, you know, uh, white supremacist 
hetero patriarchal cis capitalist whatever the hell we're living in you know it's it's going to be constrained for some people differently than others yes <clears throat> by no fault of the person and by no sense that they have less life force somehow like they've somehow chosen some life of less you know no uh, life force is life force it's just um yes so there's that part of it and then the earth energy uh, the part that comes to our feet is our vitality. It's how we nourish ourselves in this world. How we, uh, it is how we can meet our life force. It is how we can honor our life force. It is how we can, you know, extend our life. It is how we can um, live in as healthful a way as possible. Um, I, I prefer that over healthy because to think of healthy as a singular thing is highly problematic. Yes. Uh, yeah. So. Anyways, so, you know, your teaching in that sense has informed this entire podcast uh, thing. <laughs> no problem. Yeah, cool. So, yeah, so for the last two episodes, we've been talking about life force and vitality. Um, in the first episode, distinguishing the differences between the two. So I gave this really quick and dirty mm. um, statement here, but if folks want to have a more thorough a grounding in that that's in the first episode and then um i met with tiffany sosar of fox and owl tarot for the second episode we talked a lot about life force and vitality in the context of uh oppression and um particularly related to closeting and ableism and sanism mm -hmm. and uh tiffany developed a, a lovely tarot spread to consider um <clears throat> Our relationship to life force and vitality and then followed that with some questions in their role as a narrative practitioner um, for us to consider how we are relating our story to the ideas of life force and vitality and so now I am here talking to you funnily like in the third week even though you're kind of basically the source of all of this as far as I'm concerned <laughs> um, I'm talking to you in the third week and in this totally impromptu way. And I'm curious to know what you think about life force and vitality. And also I wanted to invite you to offer a meditation uh, to support either life force or vitality or the relationship between the two or the human life that has to navigate those, mm -hmm. those things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, um, yeah, I mean, it's a really wonderful question, and I love how um, you distinguish between the two. Um, I think that, you know, I, I think you're absolutely right in this idea that you know, we always have access to this life force. Um, for me, what I have noticed is that um, the energies that we carry in our body, whether it be trauma or stress or anxiety or whatever words you might want to use, um, those are the energy that make it challenging for us to really access then our vitality um, and allow those to really percolate within our being. Um, and so it's, you know, the life force, I believe, really informs our vitality. And so sometimes I see it as um, you talked about kind of the filter 
<clears throat> I see it almost as if there's a filter between ourselves um, and this, this bigger life force. Um, and so sometimes we need help in figuring out how to let go of some of that filter so that we can actually access our vitality and the two can work together. Mm. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, I really like that distinction. Yeah, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So, and what I what I what I like about that as well is that it's not um, you know there's no judgment in it. At the same time, there's an empowerment to work with it um, and work with some of our own energy that we've internalized, um, whether it be the internalization of other people's projections, um, whether it be our own protection or um, you know anticipation. <laughs> Or, um, you know, the way that, that we have learned to navigate through the world that is, um, that keeps us the safest. Um, mm. You know, there's no judgment to that. And how do we begin to work with that so that we can still access um, we can still access what is her birthright to access. Um, mm. Yeah. That's really resonating. I'm appreciating uh, your mention of safety because, you know, we're hardwired to survive on all levels. Yeah. yeah. And we'll do anything to, to hold on to this precious life. And I don't mean in that... Uh, I don't mean to other someone who is in a moment of pain around like wanting to hold on or not wanting to hold on to this human life. I just mean yeah. that there's something about us that is um, angled towards survival and so much yeah. so that we will distort ourselves almost entirely, but remain alive in some fashion. Um, yes. You know, um, and that's about safety, right? Which of course, yeah like intersects really neatly with any literature I've read related to trauma or, you know, the limbic system, um, the nervous system. And I liked how you talked about, you know, how do you, how do you work with that, knowing that we have that hard wiring and then being able to just pause in a moment to see how is that wiring functioning in order to be able to not necessarily change it, but maybe we can make our own route to our vitality more accessible. Yeah. Just by knowing, you know, what's in that filter that you, that you rate, that you, that you brought up there. Yeah, I mean, what comes to mind really strongly is the way that we naturally react to fear and to pain, and that is to contract, and that is to um, constrict. It's to, um, and in some ways, almost even, you know, sacrifice ourselves. Um, and I'll, again, I'll use the word vitality um, in order to be safe. And what I have found is that the more we can begin to trust our own vitality and the way we trust it is we begin to access it regularly in a very safe and practiced way. And then we begin to learn how to expand that vitality. And the more we're able to expand ourselves and our own energy, my experience is the safer we are. 
um, which is really feels very counter. <laughs> um, and it feels very counter to many of our, our experiences. And there are a lot of yab buts that go along um, with this. Um, however, my, my, my bodily experience of actually being very expanded in my own energy and my own bigness, everything everything softens and everything becomes a bit more clear. <laughs> and I begin to see um, what is fear and what is intuition. Um, does that answer the question? Yeah, really wonderfully. Okay. Okay. Thanks. Yeah. And I want to, I want to raise the Yabbit chorus uh, because I'm uh, I'm a, I'm a yeah, but well, actually person. I'm sorry, I just am. And I know that people who are heavy Capricorn have a lot to answer for. And I really, I get that. I get that it's just like a, an immature iteration of, of that sacred uh, sign. Um, but, I, you know, um, that, that was the course that I brought to you over and over and over and over every month in learning. And I, I, I felt self-conscious about doing it, but I knew that I couldn't. I couldn't learn from you if I didn't feel confident in those answers. And um, what was interesting to me was that in, in our work together, you know, I had to bring the question in words and you had to bring the answer in words, but I'd bring the question because the experience I was having was aligned with what you're describing now. But the experience I was having was really uh, disharmonious with the beliefs that I have and the beliefs that I've had to have in order to protect myself, particularly as a person who, is, who experiences mm -hmm. disability, mm -hmm. um, who has been told numerous times that if I just raise my vibration, you know, I'll just <laughs> mystically recover. Right. Have you tried better. yoga? Yeah, I know. Not to diss yoga. Let me sign right up for that, uh, that completely unproblematic uh, post-colonial practice here. <laughs> <laughs> no shade on yoga but yeah no shade on industrial yoga. complex lot many many shades all the shades yeah yeah most of them are white but anyways <laughs> um <laughs> i uh, yeah so i'd have this very expansive feeling say when we'd work together you know uh, you live in uh new york in brooklyn so i i'd come to you there and of course there's new york magic it has its own thing going on yeah, uh, and then we'd do our work together. So I'd just be in this uh, really uh, differently large experience of myself. Yes, and not like a large experience of myself, but didn't feel like too much. I mean, most of the time I wander yes. around feeling like too much. <laughs> and and yeah, there was this uh, crunchiness uh, between yeah. my belief and the the protection I actually very actively and intentionally cultivate. Um, the 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 disclaimers, the provisos, the the um, security measures and having to negotiate between those two things because frankly I need the, I still do need those things but yeah. I learned through the nine months of study with you that um, I can put them on and take them off as needed that that there's like some mm -hmm. semi permeability that there's some choice yes there yes. Um, and that it's not selling out to yes. honor that there's choice there um, yeah. That I'm not 
inadvertently causing myself harm or reactivating internalized ableism or internalized Satanism, which is also a, just a whole other conversation. Sure. Um, so for me, it felt a little bit like my experiences, strangely enough, um, because I think your healing modality is exactly uh, the opposite of this. Mm -hmm. um, but um, it, 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 it felt a little bit like when I, I you know, I'm a, a, a psychiatrically pathologized subject, so I, I have, I'm a frequent flyer of therapy. And when I first met, when I met my first truly gifted practitioner of cognitive behavioral therapy, um, which is very different than people who like to apply cognitive behavioral technique without necessarily uh, framing it in a, or contextualizing it in our culture anyways. Um, but the, and forgive me, psychologists, I'm going to butcher this, but the basics of cognitive behavioral therapy is if you can change the way you're thinking, that will help change your behaviors. And if you can change your behaviors, that will help change your way of thinking. It's like the science approved version of fake it till you make it, which is yeah. the exact opposite mm -hmm. of your healing modality. But somehow um, your healing modality works in a, um, I would say instead of cognition and behavior, what we have is um, um, compression expansion, like a bigness mm. versus yeah. belief. And so it works in kind of a similar, like if we can remove some belief and in, yeah. in your healing modality, that is a very effervescent, very instant, very joyful, very easeful experience. I mean, the, the work to follow it up is a little bit more challenging. Right. <laughs> the integration is a thing. The integration yeah. is a thing, um, which I delight in, but I just want to be really yes. clear. Like I'm not stating that your healing modality is this, again, magic wand of fixing beliefs. Yes. Um, but yeah, if we can remove the belief, then that allows for an expansion. Um, and, you know what? I would say an expansion, maybe in whole bigness, but also if bigness feels unpalatable because taking up space is a real concern, right? When we, when we sure. are in community and managing how much space we're taking, if bigness feels a concern, then I would say that there is a, an expansion in access, an expansion mm. in choice. Um, so I can be this large. I can choose to yes. be in this container <clears throat> or this container. Um, but at all times, I can access the whole of something, uh, even if what I understand to be the whole of myself is considered by many others to be quite broken or fragmented, or even if it is in the moment broken or fragmented, that's still yes. the whole. It's still fine. It's just fine. And everything, it's fine, you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I found that resonance between your your modality and that therapeutic experience that I had and what you're saying here just now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. There were a few things that came up when you were talking just in terms of, um, I think there's, yeah, there's so much to be said just around that idea of fake it till you make it. I don't know mm -hmm. that it, I don't know that it's so opposite from my work actually. I think that, um, I think that, you know, for example, the integration, especially around belief work, so much of that is, um, you know, I think my work offers a glimpse as to what is possible 
Mm-hmm. And I think oftentimes there we I'm able to allow people to feel what it feels like to be unconditionally loved, to feel what it feels like to feel empowered, to feel what it feels like to be big. Um, and then there's the integration time, which sometimes means you, you kind of hold on to this idea of what mm-hmm. you had, but there's a little bit of like, um, you know, fake it till you make it. <laughs> well, I mean, fake it till you make it is just the secular phrase referencing faith, right? I mean, exactly, exactly. Uh, faith is exactly. not popular, so we can say fake yeah. it till you make it, but it's the yeah. same thing. And, you know, if yeah. you get a little taste, you get a little glimpse of something sacred, or you get a little glimpse of yourself as who you know yourself to be or who you once knew yourself to be, but have conditioned yourself to no longer believe yourself to be. Um, yeah. You know, it, it is an act of faith then to leave this, the security of, of the session in which you had that glimpse and then return to the yes. car wreck of your regular life, which might, yes. you know, often feels like. Um, and try to make those two things line up somehow. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Yeah. Our, our friend, our mutual friends gifted me with a session with you when I was in New York and when we met that first time. And so we did that one session and then two weeks later we did another session because I was like, oh, gosh, we were going to do it. And then I, I didn't talk to you for a year and a half. Like it took me a year and a half before I was like, okay, now I can do another <laughs> session. Okay. I am prepared to understand that there might be something more for me here. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, um, but then when I took your healer course, we did sessions every month. So, you know, yes. not always. Like yes. That. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and sometimes we have the capacity. Sometimes we have the capacity for growth and sometimes we are maintaining. Mm. And, you know, there's an expansion and contraction in that. And that's, that's okay. You know, sometimes, sometimes it's, it's about maintaining. Um, the other thing that I wanted to mention, um, and I'm not quite sure, it feels a little clumsy now maybe to go back to it, but in talking about our bigness and in talking about um, empowerment, I think what, and what so much of what you are talking about just on the podcast in general and just in your life in terms of liberation is really... Um, a word that comes up often for me in my sessions is unapologetic. Mm -hmm. And how do we begin to become unapologetic in who we are? Um, And this doesn't, I think the fear is, well, if I'm, if I'm unapologetic, then I'll no longer grow, that I'll no longer have a sense Mm -hmm. of self-awareness, that I'll I'll become arrogant, that, and I, I, and, or at least that's been my, um, my experience with myself um, and my fear and becoming unapologetic and really becoming um, big. But my, my experience is actually the opposite because then the judgment that often for me has gone along with self-awareness becomes curiosity. Mm. So then there's still that sense of unapologetic, um, but it's not just, well, this is who I am. It's, Oh yeah. Okay. This is, this is my normal pattern, or this is what's normally coming up for me, um, or I don't feel safe being a big in this place. Okay, okay, how do I, how do I, um, yeah, how do I be okay, how do I be okay with that, or how do I navigate through this without any sense of um, 
judgment around it, which is just so, so common. Yeah. And, and common on so many angles, you know, like yeah. the thing that you described it, 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 it took me a while to realize that there is a significant difference between being unapologetic and being unaccountable. Yes. That's, you know, thank you. Like, Those are the words. I, yes. I can be unapologetic and accountable at yes. the same time. And it's actually essential for my growth and, the, and my benefit that I could offer to anybody that I do both. And it's funny because it's actually where I got my first taste of that was when I was visiting you and, you know, I'd come for the one weekend of our course, but I'd stay the week because, you know, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's New York. Um, and you and I went to um, Sonia Renee Taylor's book launch. Yes. Uh, body, the Body is Not an Apology. Um, so that the book is titled The Body is Not an Apology, Radical Self-Love for Everybody and Everybody. And that book came out of uh, Sonia Renee Taylor's spectacular blog, which you can check out at thebodyisnotanapology.com. Um, and in, in this book launch, it was, it, was a, it was a unique book launch because uh, she invited a panel of people yes. to talk about the subject of liberation. Like, it, it wasn't even, you know, she's like, oh, yeah, um, there's this line in my book. And she'd read this, like, incandescent, mm -hmm. you know, sentence or paragraph and then return to this conversation with these magnificent people uh, some, uh, I think from Harriet's Apothecary yes. um, in Brooklyn. Um, and it was, it was such a, the, the practice of, you know, sharing that stage, because for an author to, to get a stage, uh, Barnes and Noble sizes is, is a, whole, a whole thing in and of itself. And to sure. think, okay, the best use of my yeah. platform here is actually to facilitate a conversation between these other three brilliant people. Yes. I mean, is incredible. Yeah. And so to, to share, to, to witness these, these humans on stage who are absolutely unapologetic about what yes. they do, what they believe, what their mission yes. is, who they're here to liberate and yes. how that liberation will benefit everybody. And at the same time to be accountable for what they're saying to the audience, to each other, which is just a, a mystical time. So yes. Yeah. 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 And originally when my sister and I were collaborating around this project of this podcast, mm -hmm. um, I have a, I have a way of like exploding things into really large things. And so we're like, <laughs> yeah, and then we're going to have a book club. We're going to align the book club with the three stages of development as as indicated in astrology, the personal phase, the interpersonal phase, and the transpersonal phase. And, oh, wow. and the very first book we were going to read is The Body is Not an Apology. And yeah. I'm, the book club, I, I, it's coming. It's just not going to all come at the same time. But yes. this was the very first book we were going to read because it is yes. by far the most accessible material I have found. And the most, um, not just accessible, but actually the most spot on, the most accurate uh, and, and leading material I have found on, on how to be unapologetic while being accountable. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, really, really beautiful. And it's out of that, you know, one of the, um, we have talked about this um, around looking at and really beginning to download from, from spirit um, beliefs around oppression and 
just this idea that some bodies are more valuable than other bodies um, is a belief that is beginning to, I'm seeing it in everyone. <laughs> um, because, you know, it, it, it um, you know, I mean, it, it just really cuts through um, race, gender, um, size, it, 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 all, all the things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Age, <laughs> ableism, all of it, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which circles us back to one of my, my primary things I want to learn in this project over this next five years is how to live, how to be actively uh, decolonial, how to actively decolonize, how to actively um, understand my role as a settler uh, in our ongoing conversation huh, between settler culture and indigeneity and genocide. <laughs> mm -hmm. And it occurs to me that um, the idea that a body could be commodified or that a body is valued less than another. I mean, that is the, that is at the heart of the colonial project. Yeah. Um, it is what allowed for expansion into the quote unquote new world and allowed millions of people to be enslaved and transported to offer free labor, um, offer free labor, you know, yeah. <laughs> to be forced. Um, so yeah, I just, I, I wanted to, I guess, uh, say that to me at, at the heart of also the idea of being unapologetic and accountable is is uh, what I see in NDN movements um, and in indigenous culture, unapologetic indigenous culture that is so generously sharing mm -hmm. with us now. Like mm -hmm. that is where the, there is real leadership there uh, in, in, in descendants of people who are enslaved real leadership there. Um, and I think we, we always need to turn to that. And it's hilarious to me that colonialism, which is the definition of being unapologetic with no accountability, right. um, is the one that set right. into place the internalized narrative that being unapologetic is arrogant. Yes. You know, that, 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 that we must be humble. Are you kidding me? <laughs> Yeah. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> it's such a <laughs> it's such a thing. Like the people who directly benefit from everybody believing that are the people yes. who can also believe their own experience and their own feelings to be objective truth and everyone else's to be subjective inconvenience. You know. Yes. <laughs> Hello, gaslighting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But exactly. perhaps that's a whole other podcast. Uh, it's oh. it's right. <laughs> if it's right with our individual lives and the colonial project. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and then there's the internalization of, you know, that the other belief that I see so prevalent is uh, my body is autonomous. Um, and usually there's a no around that. Um, mm. You know, this idea that, yeah, we're not allowed to actually have um, agency over our own bodies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or that also if our bodies are somehow uh, branded unhealthy or unwell or et cetera, then we haven't, we've failed in our bodily autonomy or we have not yeah. earned the right to have bodily autonomy. Like, 
Yeah. You know, there's this little crunchy piece in there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> crunch, crunch. <Delicious. laughs> oh. Yeah. <clears throat> Juicy. So on that, uh, uh, <laughs> both expanding and collapsing note, <laughs> what sorts of, what sorts of, um, oh, wait, this brings me back. Wait, bookmark. I'm bookmarking that. I just want to okay. jump back for a sec. Um, yes. you know how you talked about in your, I, I took the notes, hang on. You talked about how uh, trauma experiences and stress experiences and anxiety experiences map themselves in the body as a filter that bars access to our vitality. Um, one thing that I was wondering about um, was about where practices of vitality meet something else of vitality. Uh, I don't know what this something else is, but I think you do. Uh, what I want to say about that is, um, for example, you know, I, um, I'm a person who like, really, if I'm going to do something, I really do it. So when I went out on disability, um, the whole while, of course, resisting uh, that I could be a, a disabled subject because I had, of course, internal value judgments. I didn't know who I was if I wasn't my fill in the blank occupation that I had before mm -hmm. I went out on disability. You know, I hadn't, I, I didn't understand that I could have an identity or a value if I wasn't contributing somehow to yeah. an internal world. Yeah. Um, I dove very deeply in every kind of practice I could find, allopathic medicine, psychology, psychiatry, naturopathic medicine, uh, dietary, like you name it. Like if somebody told me to stand on my head and somebody did, and I did, I did inversions for a month. Like I just, <laughs> everything yeah. possible. And yeah. so for example, if I take the, but if I, if I dial it back and I, I think simply about the vitalizing act of eating food. So I'm putting food in my body, mm -hmm. I'm nourishing this body. Um, and how, when I was in my most disconnected uh, space, both externally and within myself, disconnected from myself, um, you know, my practices of vitality, although they were immaculate, um, did not, it wasn't even that they just did not yield outcome-oriented results, but for example, I, I couldn't eat raw vegetables, like my, my body, could not handle mm -hmm. raw vegetables. And mm -hmm. still to this day, like raw vegetables are very difficult. Although, you know, two days ago, I actually desired a salad made of raw vegetables and I made it and I ate it and it was delicious. And I could tell that I took nourishment from it. Um, so what I mean is I, I could do all the vitalizing practices that I wanted, but I still couldn't access the vitality from the practice. So there was like, there's this two part thing to practice. And maybe that's what you're talking about is like the filter bars, um, the access to the yeah. vitalizing practice. But I also see that as somehow separate from life force because I could access my life force. I mean, that I was, I was surviving on fumes that I was generating from my ability to access my life force. Um, but I couldn't vitalize. I couldn't nourish the body. I couldn't, no matter what I did, feeling good was never feeling good. It was moments of relief and that was enough. I'm grateful yeah. for them. 
but you know what I yeah. mean? I don't know if that's. I do. I mean, okay. So a couple of things come up. First of all is how, um, um, and I don't know that if this was true for you, but sometimes the practices of, of vitality are done with a sense of aggression of trying to fix ourselves, which goes back to what I was saying before. So, you know, I also have done quite a bit around food in particular, um, but it was always with this idea of if I do this, then mm. I will be good enough for X, Y, and Z. Then I'll have proven mm. to myself that I am. X, Y, and Z. Like there's, there was a real, um, I, I'm a recovering, no pain, no gain person. Um, so, you know, for me, there's also, there were a lot of beliefs around suffering equals growth. Um, and so mm. for me, actually letting go of all of the practices mm. actually allowed me to begin to cultivate my own internal mm. connection with my own vitality, which mm -hmm. is going to be dynamic and changing every day. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There are certain things that work well for me, but also not every day. <laughs> um, I almost have like, I, so I have made actually like a wheel for myself of practices that, um, help me access my vitality. For me, it's like trying to hit maybe, um, I, don't, I don't know how many are on the wheel. It's been a while since I've revisited this. This I did many years ago. But it's like I need to hit a certain number of those. Mm -hmm. But they're not going to always be the same. <laughs> mm -hmm. I love does this. That, yeah, yes, okay. it does. And... I mean, the wheel, actually, I, I'd really love for us to revisit next month when we're talking about resources in the second house. Mm. Um, but the, the thing that really struck me when we were speaking about uh, being a, a recovering, suffering equals growth, no pain, no gain person was there's this idea that vitality and life is transactional. Yes. That, that it's, and, and that it's transactional on an equation, that we can see all the hidden costs. There's no tax. There's no you know, that we can see it all. And it made me think yes. of a teaching that I received a number of years ago when I was, um, I was training to be a, a doula and I was studying with Pam England and Virginia Bobro uh, of Birthing From Within. Uh, you can obviously just Google. <laughs> and Pam always has this way of saying that it's our role as, as childbirth mentors and doulas to help somebody, a birthing human who is in pregnancy in particular, realize that, you know, they can eat all the right bread and they can wear all the right shoes and they can do all the right things. And still, when it comes to birth, the birth fairy is going to appear that you got to leave, you know, this little window yeah. for what you don't know, yeah. what tax you don't see, what um, and then also, if you want to remove it from the idea of any kind of slippery conversation around karma, which is a word that I actually vehemently reject because it comes from a thousands year old spiritual system that I do not have yeah. enough knowledge to, to use that word. But in the spiritual community, we use the word karma to indicate transactions 
Like we, yeah. we, we're like, no, no, there should be no pain, no gain, but let's talk about karma. Um, yeah. So that's, that's the, the reason I'm bringing it in. But if we want to remove it from that, you know, you, you can't face any kind of initiation and life every day is a set, a series of small initiations punctuated by very large initiations. Um, you can't enter into any initiation knowing how you'll emerge on the other side or also um, being able to ensure your safety. Because if you could ensure your safety all the way through, then there's no point in going through it. There's, you can't grow safely. You can't learn safely. You can um, expect security. You can mm-hmm. fight for your right to a bodily autonomy, to et cetera, et cetera, the, um, uh, accessible healthcare, to, you know, um, that's not the same as safety, though. Um, uh huh. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because I think I do. Yeah. safety itself is a protection mechanism. The idea that we're safe or can be safe or that we're insurable or, you know, that whole conversation. Um, goes in with this sort of transactional uh, sense of, um, well, it becomes the way that we can harm ourselves and each other or blame ourselves and each other when something doesn't go as planned and we don't think we have the skill to handle it. Yeah. You know, we, we experience a, an unexpected or undesired consequence. You know, I went through the initiation of marriage. It was beautiful, wonderful. And I am now in a situation of unexpected and undesired consequence. And I just want to blame everybody and everything, including myself and my ex-partner and the institution of marriage and, you know, patriarchy. I mean, and it's true. That's true. All of that is true. And also I went through that initiation and I am making meaning of it um, expensive meaning of it, but meaning yes. of it nonetheless that is 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 just outside of the whole idea of right and wrong and yes. settlements and you know and I'm very grateful for that and that is not safe right it is not safe for me to to do that it's not safe for me to sit in a bargaining table and say okay I'll concede on this or concede on that mm. um, that's not that's not but but I notice every time I cling for safety, that's a, it's a fear thing. It's a fix it thing. Yes. It's a, you will ensure that yes. I survive yes. because we entered into this agreement. Yes. Um, you know, and that, that is not helping. It's not helping. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's what's coming up for me and what you, what you shared there. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I think we use a little bit of different language around it, but I, I really, um, I, I'm, I'm feeling, I feel like this is it, that those phrases that you just talked about actually are going to have to sit with me for a while in order to really absorb all that you were saying. Um, there was something that you mentioned um, before. Oh, well, I mean, okay, I'm, I'm kind of taking it back before you were just talking about that. So it may be mm-hmm. somewhat disjointed, but, um, you know, I think that we, when you were talking about the practices of vitality, mm-hmm. 
and we're practicing because you know, I think it's it practices is, is a way of shifting belief. And so depending on the beliefs that we have, for example, our own worthiness, like I, we're looking to these practices to kind of prove that worthiness. Um, you know, hopefully they're cultivating a sense of empowerment so that um, – you can then let go of the practice in order to really believe it. Mm. Um, I mean, we always have practice, so I'm not suggesting that the, the final end goal is to be practice free. I'm, I'm not trying to suggest that. Um, but it just came up for me when you were talking around like how, like we're just trying, we're just trying to figure it out, man. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. We're just yeah, trying to like figure out how am I okay? And like what practices are going to help me feel okay? Um, yeah. And, and there are those ones that are transactional and then those same ones can also then be actually really nourishing depending on our own perspective and how we come back to it. So yeah, and also our community supports and our access to yes. um, those practices being uh, non-punitive. Yeah. Um, yeah, I love that you say that. And I think that this is the thing, that, the essential thing we're talking about and at, at the heart of your work as well, is that we're doing all this work in all the planes, all the dimensions, all the yeah. lifetimes, forwards, backwards, like yeah. we're doing it in all, but frankly, we live on this planet at this time. Right. You know, and, it, and we're pretty, we're pretty attached to that. We're pretty stuck on that. Like it's, yeah. So to do that work in all dimensions and also live that work here uh, yeah. in these bodies at this time, um, all of it has to be true, right? Like yeah. the truth of the constraint must be honored. The truth of the resistance must be honored. The wisdom of the resistance must be mined yes. and, and uh, held tenderly. Yeah. Um, and, and thanked, you know, uh, I feel like yes. it's like a Marie Kondo moment here. Um, no, and, I think that's why she's so powerful, actually. Yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, let me honor what I'm letting go of, not in a way of like, I'm cutting this out of my life, but like, let me honor what I've learned from it. And now I'm going to mm -hmm. let it go. Anyway. Yeah. And, and there's such a fine line between doing that in a present and dynamic way yeah. and having an experience of that in a present moment and then logging it in a shortcut of the brain saying, ah, oh, this worked. So I will just do this for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So mm -hmm. yes, exactly. And then, and then the thing that was helpful becomes the, the constraint. Um, so yeah. 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 And I, the other thing I was going to say is, you know, you're talking about how we're doing it on all these dimensions and times, but then we're also here on this planet. To me, that's why having both earth energy and spirit energy is so vitally important because we need the bigger perspective of the, of the many lifetimes. We need to know that there's more to it than just what's here. I believe mm -hmm. I need that. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but we also need to not get so caught up in that, that we forget to take action when we need to take action, that we yes. forget to have our feet on the ground and look around and connect with one another and not, not um, overlay it with some platitude like, oh, well, we're all one, but mm -hmm. actually engaging with our differences and seeing how that helps our growth and seeing and being humble enough to learn <laughs> and to 
have the growth from it. Um, mm -hmm. Anyway, it's really been coming up through my meditations lately. It's just that those two things together and how vital they both are. You know, in Buddhism, they talk about the absolute and the relative and both. We need both. Mm -hmm. And I think we need the third, which is the matchmaker between the two. And that's the human heart. Sure. Like that's, sure. that's the agency. That's where we come in. And that's sure. like, we're the connector. Um, yeah. uh, and that is not a small thing. But also, it is a completely insignificant thing because 300,000 people are born every day. And, you know, like, it is yes. also like dust. It's also nothing. So, you know, we can't get too caught up in the importance of that. But, but we can't lose sight of the importance of that. And, and I think um, if, we, if we take anything out of the first house, um, we take the lesson of connectivity. And, and we bring that forward and whether that's connection with ourselves or between ourselves and spirit between ourselves and earth whether we think of earth as earth energy or we think of our actual planet and yes. what we can do uh not to only uh try to defend and protect it but to to honor what an incredible yeah. uh, uh gift it is in supporting our lives even as we are you know polluting it um um, and then um, also in terms of connecting with practices and then connecting with people who can um, support our greatest and highest good in a dynamic way. You know, not yes. just the people who yes. are like, okay, let's go have wine about it, which is important. Of course. We're into that. Uh, of course. But, um, that, that there's also people who are going to, you can be unapologetic and accountable to. Yes. Unapologetic with and yes. accountable to. Not just the people who you can be unapologetic with without any sort of accountability mechanism. Yes. It's, it's the accountability that allows for the connection. Um, yes. So, yeah. Mm. You have to hold it up. I can't read it. You have 20 minutes. Perfect. <laughs> Here I was I trying this. to be sly. That's cool. Um, yes. So I, we have some options. We can keep talking as we're talking. We could segue into a meditation if you would like to guide us into one. Or if you want to just record a meditation after you've reflected on this conversation later and then send it to me later, that could work and I could put it in the episode. How do you, how do you want to go from here? How do you want to spend your next 20 minutes? <laughs> Oh, wow. I mean, that's a hard option. Um, but why don't, why don't we go ahead and just move into a brief meditation? Mm, yeah, great. I could show you some. Yeah. Um, maybe about 15 minutes. Does that feel? Sounds great. Workable. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, for this meditation, you can really sit. If you want to sit cross-legged, if you want to sit in a chair, um, you can also lie down. Um, if lying down feels like you're able to connect with yourself in an easier way. Um, again, there's no 
This is not a no pain, no gain situation. So allowing yourself to feel a sense of comfort in your body um, while also touching in with your inherent dignity, your inherent divinity. Can, um, on that note, uh, would that include then for folks who stim or require stimulus could doing this while washing dishes or taking a walk or using um, uh, something in the hands, knitting, would, would that be workable as well? Sure. I, um, I, I'm not familiar enough to be quite honest. Um, I, I want to make it accessible for everyone. So my sense is try it. Be curious. <laughs> if you are able to connect in with your um, vitality while moving, um, I personally require quite a bit of focus. Um, and stillness tends to help me with that focus. But um, I, I, I'm all about people being able to take care of themselves in whatever way they need to take care of themselves. So, um, so for those fair, of you... Sorry, I just wanted to say, to be fair, I, I knew that would be your answer. I just wanted yes. to offer the option. Yes. Okay. Of course. No, I really appreciate it. I really okay. appreciate it. Um, yeah, so for those who um, do sit in a cross-legged position, the one um, offering that I will make in terms of posture is to make sure that your hips are higher than your knees. This can help you... Um, sit with more comfort. So take a moment and for those of you who um, can just close your eyes and take a moment to simply tune in with yourself as you are right now without an overlay of trying to change how you are right now, but simply acknowledging, I'm feeling nervous, I'm feeling anxious, I'm feeling restless, I'm feeling tired, I'm feeling excited, I'm feeling calm, whatever, whatever might be coming up. You can feel into your emotional body, into your physical body. And then taking a few minutes now, we're going to begin to Tune in with that filter, that holding energy. The underlying stress and anxiety that we carry with us. And during this time, we're practicing we're practicing. So we're taking these few moments to allow ourselves to be soft and vulnerable 
with ourselves. We're practicing a sense of letting go, a sense of opening. And seeing what's underneath. So we'll begin to simply scan through the body, beginning with the top of the head. Simply bringing our curiosity to what's happening in the skull, in the brain, in the face. Is there holding energy here? Is there energy that's not serving that is ready to be let go of, is ready to fall away without any judgment towards that which is not ready? Underneath any meditation that you do, there is a learning about yourself. And that learning has to be done with a space of making friends with oneself, of learning how to be unapologetic with what we find and what we see. without any kind of aggression of trying to fix, but just noticing with a sense of wonder. So scan, continuing to scan through, through the neck and shoulders. arms, bringing it through the torso, you may want to take a moment to feel into the heart. Just continuing to scan through the rest of the torso and through the pelvic area. Through the hips and into the legs. And just allowing that to fall into the earth. 
we're going to do one more scan this way of just really letting go. And you can do it on your own time, beginning with the top of the head and beginning to just allow a sense of release, allow a softening, allowing an opening. There may be places that are numb. There may be places that are calling out for a lot of attention. And just notice and continue to move your attention through. You will want to have thoughts and perhaps want to create stories around what you're seeing or experiencing and just see if you can let that go too. And once you've brought it all the way through the bottoms of the feet and allowing this energy to just fall into the earth, taking a moment and just noticing your body. Noticing if it feels any different. Now take a few moments to tune directly in with the cells and working with that sense of vitality and life force. We're going to begin to tune in with the bigger space, spirit energy, that life force energy that is available to us at all times. And we're going to bring that directly into the cells. And we're going to do this by breathing through the pores in our skin and bringing that breath directly into the cells, into the mitochondria. And making that connection to our own vitality. And normally this would be a much longer practice where we begin with the big toe and we gradually add in parts of our body. But it works just as well to begin to breathe into the body as a whole. So on each in-breath, 
You're going to bring the breath in through the pores of the skin right into the cells. And the out breath, just being. Now, as you're bringing this life force energy in, this is a cleansed, pure energy that we're bringing through us. As it comes in, it is automatically cleared. We're bringing the very essence, the very essence of life. Again, the in-breath. Right in through the pores of our skin, right into the cells. Out-breath, just being. So continue this practice for a few more minutes. Remembering the front of the body, remembering the back of the body, the bottoms of the feet. may begin to become very focused and the breath may have a bit of force to it. It's not with a sense of pushing or aggression. with a sense of very focused awareness. just letting the practice go and now tuning in with the body sometimes there can be a feeling of champagne or effervescence that can come with this practice Gradually beginning to open the eyes while maintaining and holding this feeling. Allowing the external and the internal to begin to relate to one another without sacrificing the experience that you've just created for yourself. 
giving yourself some space before the rush of life comes in, lowercase l life. Do you feel vital, Nathan? Hmm. You're so generous. Thank you so much. <laughs> I didn't realize that I was in my pain body until we yeah. checked in. And I noticed, oh, I'm in pain body. And I noticed, oh, I'm also really heavily fortified to not feel pain body. Yes. And this small practice allowed me to convert that fortification into insulation, which then allowed my nerves to feel both that I'm in pain body, but also feel that effervescence you talked about, which I really needed. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you for articulating that so beautifully. So my beloved friend and teacher, I know you have to run. Um, before you do, though, I really just want to invite you to share how people might connect with you if they would like healing sessions or if they would like to access one of your delicious three-month offerings of teachings and meditations and healings, or if people are curious about becoming a healer themselves, how can, how can folks find you? Um, the best way is probably through my website, which has email and phone and all of that on there, um, but also they can get a taste of what's there and some words. I'm in the process of redoing my website, but it works. The one I have works. Okay. Um, and there are many different ways to find that. It's currently under findingtheheartofthewarrior.com. Mm -hmm. My name also works, or well, you have my new name on there. My old name works. <laughs> I'm currently mm -hmm. between names, um, mm -hmm. which is jenniferdoparella.com. And looking to your most spacious present and future offering, what is that website? Title Heart Healing. Forest. Mm -hmm. Yes, titleheartheeling.com. And also, actually, jenniferetta.com also works. Great. It's all going to forward to the same it's, place. It's all going to forward to the same place. The same evolving and dynamic place. Exactly. Mm -hmm. exactly. Great. There is already a link to that on the Gathering Space Podcast website, www.gatheringspacepodcast.com. But I will also put a link in the show notes. Thank you so much for this morning. <sighs> Thank you so much. Oh, this just made everything. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's done. It's done. It's done. <laughs> <laughs> Love you. Love you too. Bye. Hey, it's just me now. Uh, I was reflecting on that interview with my beloved friend uh, and teacher and healer whom I trust with my life and with whom there is mutual reception, which is an astrological concept, um, but also really just very applicable uh, when we're connected to uh, people who um, are working with our and their uh, greatest and highest good or most accessible benefit, which to me are the exact same thing. To be clear, there's nothing higher about not requiring accessibility if I'm I'm just gonna keep saying that over and over because 
It just needs to be said over and over. In any case, um, to share mutual reception with someone as, as, as just wonderful and um, care-filled uh, as Jen and as Tiffany, whom you met last episode, or if you haven't listened to the last episode uh, and you don't know about Tiffany Sostar and narrative practice, narrative therapy, Fox and Owl Tarot, I really invite you to uh, to just bum back an episode and and acquaint yourself with that stunning human Faye being. I was struck again um, with the idea of connection. I mentioned at the end of the interview that prior to the the practice that we shared, that very brief meditation, I didn't even realize I was in my pain body, um, which is pretty common for folks who uh, experience disability. Uh, we're accustomed to uh, pain being just present, ever present, uh, so accustomed to it that we can tune an immense amount of it out. Uh, and I noticed that among my friends who identify as crip, mad people experiencing disability or disabled, um, that when we say we are experiencing pain, like when it gets to the point where pain is actually registering, if we were to scale pain on a 10-point scale, which is so popular in hospital emergency rooms and on uh, phone calls to distress lines, wherein one is experiencing uh, minimal, minor discomfort and 10 is excruciating, um, and where my own uh, reference point on that scale is uh, I've, I've birthed two humans in my body without... Uh, without um, the use of pain relief uh, medications. No judgment on that. Um, no judgment at all on that. I, I trust everybody to know what it is they need um, in a moment of giving birth, but I just, I'm using that so that you can understand that when I scale my pain, I scale natural childbirth at a seven. And I don't speak about pain. I don't register pain. Pain doesn't push through my filter until I'm at a seven. And in fact, I would say until I'm at an eight, because truth be told, when I went into labor with my first child, I didn't even know I was in labor until I was in transition. So I'm going to go with an eight, actually. It takes an eight to push through what I automatically filter. And at eight, I can speak quite calmly. Um, and not that calm should be valued over not calm. But one thing I've observed is that um, for folks who are consider themselves neurotypical, or maybe they don't consider themselves neurotypical, they would consider themselves normal or able-bodied. Um, so normal, the standard against which all else is measured. Um, folks outside of... Uh, the Crip and Mad community, disabled community, people experiencing disability community, um, they require performances of pain. They don't understand that anybody could be at an eight and speak calmly. Now, when I checked in uh, just now in this meditation, I would say my pain body was registering around a five. It was an indication to me that, in fact, when I 
I gathered space for the day and I picked my priority for the day, which is gathering space because I'm working on the podcast and the website today. And then I picked my trinity for today um, of things that I want to gather space around, which you can learn about these practices either on the website or in episode one of this podcast. I picked priorities, I picked Ambrotos tradition, and I picked for myself, I know of no river called ocean. Um, these three projects... I realize I might not actually have the spoons. Uh, and you can learn about spoon theory. I'll put a link in there. Um, but separately, a way to understand it is I might not have the bandwidth, actually, to attend these three things in the way that I had imagined. So checking in with myself allows me to still gather space around these three things. But it broadens my imagination when I consider how I will attend these these three priorities that I've established or uh, for my day. So I don't have to wholesale give up on my priorities upon recognizing that I'm in pain body, although I definitely have that option with zero apology whatsoever, but that I can, to the space I'm at now, be accountable to my desire to gather space around these three things in a way that is graceful and accessible for my body being where my body's at and my mind being where my mind is at. I'm realizing, I realized in that activity and I noticed in fact before I began this interview that my mind isn't, it's very unkind today, very unkind. Um, and that's fine, but it, it just, it takes up bandwidth. It diminishes my capacity to produce. And that was something that in the interview with Jen when we talk about transactional growth. Um, we can also talk about uh, in our capitalist time or um, as I like to think about it in the in the you know burning uh, <laughs> the burning time of late capitalist decline um, we really we cling we hold in the way that the filter within us holds. We hold culturally this idea that productivity and demonstrable productivity is the tangible measure of our value. Uh, and that's so deeply internalized, so difficult to shake off. I've been on disability for 10 years. 10 years I've actively been rivaling that idea and I'm only just starting to shift free, to rattle loose um, that connection, that belief. Um, where was I before this? Yes, that, that my productivity will naturally be uh, compromised by the, the state of this body, this mind, this body-mind, um, but that I feel already I've, I've won the day, I'm victorious today because I see that before beating myself up about it, before experiencing the disappointment at not having met my own expectations. Um, and I'm allowing myself this opportunity to just hold the number five in my head and say, okay, this is, this is the bandwidth I've got and to check in and to see where is where is this pain body and where is this unkind mind and what does it need? My lungs 
in this case, they're just trashed right now. And, uh, you know, every breath in is, is quite uncomfortable. It's not compromised. My OSATs are good, but every breath is uncomfortable. And, you know, it, it takes a bit to filter that out enough to uh, conduct an interview or wash the dishes or um, practice in my tradition or to work on a writing project. And, and I feel really good. I feel really productive, in fact, about the idea that I, I can restore um, or liberate production from this distortion that production must always be from the inside out and must always be externally represented in action. There is an entire world of production that is receptive and internal and actively receptive. It takes effort to sit for 15 minutes. It takes effort to uh, listen to a podcast of this length. My goodness, that interview was an hour and a half, and then I'm here I am reflecting for some time, and then I'm offering after this. The second half of the podcast is around the astrology. So, I mean, this is going to be a very long episode. It takes effort to to take in a whole episode like this and and to receive it and to allow the self to meet this material and to allow this material to meet the self, to allow for mutual representation, uh, mutual reception in that regard, to allow um, any resistance to arise and to evaluate that resistance for its value and its, its support at this time, to release what is not supportive and to hold unapologetically any resistance that is supportive and to keep going that is production as well. And I'm going to get into that a lot in uh, my discussion of the astrology a little bit later today. Um, but I, I wanted to take a moment to, um, to raise that point. Another point that I wanted to raise uh, had to do with at the start of the meditation um, when Jen was walking us into the beginning of the meditation and one thing that I love about meditating with Jen is Jen does, does not skip any space on the induction, uh, does not skip any space on walking somebody from a present moment to a mindful reception. Uh, it's not like, okay, take three breaths and now all of a sudden we're going to bring on this technique. No. Jen offers so much space before introducing technique. And in offering that space, uh, Jen invited us to soften, to let go. Uh, she, she brought up these words. Um, but prior to bringing up these words, she said the line, during this time we are practicing. Practicing. So we are not practicing softening. We are not practicing letting go. We are not practicing opening because those might be the things that we need. But also, what if, what if we've just come out of Pisces and for my folks who are Pisces on Pisces on Cancer on Pisces, um, maybe what we're practicing in this moment is actual solvency, is distinguishing between self and non-self. Who knows what the practice is that we each individually need. Um, in meditation, there is often a, an emphasis on letting go because um, on meditation we want to get past this gripping energy, right? If, if the filter is gripping and grasping and holding and rigid, then that's going to bar access to the 
semi-permeability of our being. It's going to bar access to the nervous system connecting with anything, um, let alone being able to connect with everything or to be able to select connection. So um, that 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 is common, but I think equally common and, and frequently undiscussed is for some people the filter is uh, uh, not a steel wall. Sometimes the filter is a complete dissolution. Sometimes the filter is so valuing unity and oneness that there is no distinction between self and non-self and in is out and out is in and there's this whole big swirl. And I think practicing meditation and being told from that perspective that we need to let go. I mean, we can't be Pisces on Pisces on Cancer on Pisces just coming out of Pisces season with Mercury in retrograde and say, yeah, I'm going to let go. Like, you're already, you're already a, a drop in the ocean. You're already, you're already there. <laughs> so maybe the practice that we're practicing in that moment has to do more with uh, collecting the self, gathering the self to the self, uh, swiveling, practicing swiveling the, the angle of the cells toward the sun, to the moon, to the, the luminary of our lives. So um, I just, I wanted to raise that note because a number of people that I know and love dearly hate meditating. They just hate it. And they entertain how much I benefit from it when I speak about it. And because I am who I am and I um, really value being able to offer possibility uh, access to possibility, although also am kind of a person who values a particular type of efficiency and can get really bossy. I can say like, hey, like, are you, are you meditating? Um, I want to say that meditation is not a universal experience. Accessing the whole of the self, that may be universal. That, that may be the thing that connects us all, but the way that we get there isn't clearly. And the practice of meditation, the dominant narrative of meditation has to do with letting go. But I, I want to invite another um, angle, which is to consider that for some folks, the practice that we're practicing in meditation and the practice that we are applying technique to in order to be curious, because technique is not about perfecting the technique. Technique is about allowing the mind, the being, something to be curious about. Um, the practice we may be practicing might have to do with coming together or with holding something without grasping. Um, I think maybe that's on both sides we want to hold without grasping, but I just want to be clear that for some folks that might relate to solvency, to distinguishing between self and non-self. The, you know, the, the really popular term right now is about uh, having good boundaries, but of course that word has been weaponized particularly against folks, uh, BPD and bipolar, and so I just struggle with how we consider that word, and so instead of using the word that references a boundary. I like to consider image of boundary. And when I consider image of boundary, I like to consider the body. I like to consider the semi-permeability of the cells or the semi-permeability of different systems of the body, the way that they connect one right next to the other. And I'll share a little story later about the lung uh, that relates to that. But uh, I like to consider it ecologically, uh, um, how in an ecosphere, in a biosphere, everything is acting and reacting, working dynamically one with the other. 
And so although there is tree and there is lung, my lung and this tree are, are sharing a relationship directly, like absolutely 100% directly, air that I am breathing out is being received by this tree beside me. And oxygen that it's releasing in its respiration phase at night is, is nourishing my life. I mean, there's this directness. But also we can look at, um, for folks who, are, uh, who love the natural world, um, when we, when we look at the natural world as removed from humans or one step away from humans, uh, if you want to look at biospheres like that, uh, things that might feel more pristine or untouched, although of course there is no such thing, uh, we are a part of nature as much as we are hurting it and ourselves in the meantime. But if we consider the natural uh, logic of a forest or a desert or an ocean, a lake, uh, if we consider the homeostasis, the dynamic relationship between all the elements of a biome with all the other elements of the biome to, to maintain that life, to maintain that ecology, to maintain that very specific space, then that's another, another way to consider boundaries, right? Uh, does the tree say to the mycorrhizal fungus, uh, get off me? No, uh, but some trees might isolate a little bit from connection to other trees. I am fully stealing that from um, Oh, what is that book by Peter Wallenberg? The, Hid the Hidden Life of Trees, The Secret Life of Trees. It's by Greystone. Uh, I think it's The Hidden Life of Trees. It's the first in his trilogy on, on nature, and I, I really loved it. If you haven't read it, I highly recommend checking it out. In any case, uh, I just wanted to add that practice note uh, in the same way that I added the note on folks who need some stim need some stim sitting still and having a mind that is generative or a body that is so generative you need to offset it offset it like don't don't let anybody tell you that 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 is inappropriate your stillness is your stillness as long as it's still and not escaping because of course in offsetting energy it's very easy to escape just like in lying down in meditation, it's easy to fall asleep. It's easy to escape. In sitting up meditation, it's easy to be so concerned with posture that we escape. I, you know, there's the the we will try to escape, and that's just fine. It's actually really cute. It's really cute um, how 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 much we we want to escape, um, and it's really kind to see that as cute and to call ourselves back. You know, oops, I escaped. I bought this thing that I can't really afford. Oops, I escaped. I um, fed my emotions uh, with foods that I wasn't intending to or in, in ways that I didn't taste or feel them. Oops, I escaped by uh, putting my head in, in my work and uh, just doing that in a hyper-focused way for eight hours. Oops, I escaped. You know, we escape in so many ways and there is a wisdom to that. There is a logic to that. We, we honor that. And, and, and we're grateful for our ability to escape because frankly, um, that is life preserving. But also we can, we, can expand, we can expand our options and we can practice practicing, not escape. We can practice practicing attending where we are. We can practice um, acknowledging 
pain body for what it is, which is the body we have. We can practice attending an unkind mind for what it is, something that can feel very, very excruciating, very crunchy, very threatening, and also something that we can observe as it's happening, you know? So I just uh, wanted to add that piece. Um, I'll be back in a little bit with, uh, with the astrology segment of this episode, and then um, we'll, we'll go from there. It's, uh, it's funny, I feel now I should have like some kind of musical interlude or like some kind of break. Um, <laughs> I, maybe I'll add a musical interlude. I do have some, some music that I license uh, from Jimendo, uh, and so maybe I'll just add a little bit of music here just to break it up, uh, and then uh, go, from, go from there. I'm, this is the, like, remember how I'm, I'm doing this in order to acquire some skills. So I talked about acquiring some, some skills of decolonization, some practices of decolonization. Um, but also I'm trying to learn how to podcast and also trying to do all of this in an anti-capitalist fashion, not just in a ignoring capitalism or what have you, or secretly hoping to, like, benefit uh, from a sort of expression of capitalism that, that sees other people at a loss. I mean, I'm happy to benefit, but, but not in, in that way. Um, so I'm also just learning to podcast and it's, it's new and weird. And thanks for sticking around. Okay. So I am going to offer you this piece of music. Um, this piece of music comes from an experience that I had last year, uh, I was participating in an emerging choreographers program with an organization called Cripsy. Uh, they're an integrated dance and movement organization um, that I, whose work I've really been admiring for a very long time. And uh, although we can no longer endorse Cripsy as a safe entity uh, or um, a, a reliably secure entity, I can have this cherished memory. When I listen to this music, I can think of that time and love it. And I can enjoy this memory that is itself the heart of a present and future integrated mad dance project uh, and, and enjoy that. And with that sweetness, I can also take a moment to grieve the undesired by me and some other folks I know, or highly desired by other folks I know, transition that the organization has made. I can honor and respect the decision that led to this transition, even if the strategies and processes that unfolded, whether intended or not, exacted a violence on people that I love. I can be angry and accepting without judging what happened as acceptable. I can wish well the organization and its current leadership without endorsing or denigrating. I can say all I need to say to send rockets of acknowledgement, affirmation, and love to the people involved who need it. And I can say only what my conscience requires me to say without stating anything that requires defense or apology. I can both and this. I can both and. I am both and. And with that in mind, this song by Bortex, uh, who incidentally also is the creator of the two ID tag songs for the Gathering Space podcast, uh, is the first of three tracks that was used in a production of a dance piece titled You, I, Wash, Dry. The performers of uh, the performance in this piece are myself and the magnificent Lindsay Eels. Uh, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe Lindsay will consent to be on the podcast in some future episode. 
And uh, the piece itself was the culminating work in my experience with Cripsy's Emerging Choreographers Program, which provided me the space and context in which I could expand my understanding and, importantly, my experience of embodiment. I believe there's video of the performance somewhere. If I can find it, I'll link it in the show notes uh, and on the Gathering Space uh, podcast website. Uh, but if not, you can just um, take in the music. Um, I believe the track is called Ability. I'll have to double check that. I'll confirm after. And uh, every time I listen to it, I enjoy both the idea and experience of moving to it. So um, it is uh, sent with love from me to you via Vortex, via this experience, via this history in my life, via people I love, via people I am seeking to understand. Uh, and, And I'll see you on the other side of it. That track is called Ability by Bortex. I haven't listened to that song in a long time. Having listened to it just now, I'm filled with love and with longing. I feel the memory of my cells wanting my body to move in this place at this time in the ways I conditioned it to during rehearsal and performance. When I hear this music, I feel so proud of that creation. I feel so pleased about it. And I feel awkward, I feel afraid to feel proud and pleased. I 
I feel excited about the future trajectory of that work. I feel intimidated by it. I feel gratitude for my collaborators, and I feel admiration for my body-mind in approaching the initiation of that project. I feel admiration for my body-mind in wanting to carry it forward and carrying it forward. But I feel self-judgment about that. I feel self-judgment at feeling so much, and I feel a lot of self-judgment at sharing these feelings with you. But it's a victory to feel so much. I came with access to so much feeling. What I feel is not a liability. This is my wealth. It is generative and regenerative. I practice feeling all that I feel in connection to all that I experience with all those I interact with, with this planet, this land I carry my life out on. This land where two rivers meet. This land under the formidable and patient guardianship of the peoples indigenous to this place, people under enduring conditions of colonization, people fighting for the liberation of their autonomy, their selves and the body of this land, because in liberation there is no distinction. No matter what we do, something, nothing, antagonize, support, resist, either way, everything changes. Either way, we participate in liberation or annihilation. <laughs> this song titled Ability reminds me to consider the distribution of my energy. It reminds me to know something very real, very tangible and yet ineffable about my ability. It reminds me to consider access and to take all the time I need to find a path of greatest consent that acknowledges the wisdom of resistance, to release what I can, to restore the semi-permeability of the space between life force and vitality, inhale and exhale, then and now, you and me. I used to aim for the path of least resistance, but I see now I'm ready to release that. Right now, this moment, I release the path of least resistance in favor of the path of greatest consent. I wonder what that will feel like when I practice it. I promise so much in this episode, astrology, lungs, but I see that with this learning of the strategy of greatest consent, my practice of podcasting with you here today is complete. I see that I'm learning a lot about right planning for this show and, well, it's not perfect, is it? Here's what I plan to do. Let's carry the Astro one more week. We'll make it the feature segment next week and maybe the lungs too. We'll, we'll see what comes up there and, and we'll go from there. Until next time, space cadets, may we live and live and live both and. May we seek generous consent rather than seeking to eliminate resistance. May we restore productivity from the distortion of capitalism. And in so doing, may we be alive. May we love and be loved. May we gather a little more space toward the nurture and nourishment of our life force, our vitality. May we trust our insider knowing when reaching for fortification and insulation. May we keep going. Well, that's the end of our episode. I really value and appreciate your time in joining me here today. And any other day you decide to listen along, just a reminder that you can now subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you like to listen to podcasts these days. You can check out our website at www.gatheringspacepodcast.com for more information and resources related to each episode. 
You can also visit us on social media. We have an Instagram feed and a Facebook page at Gathering Space Podcast. Uh, or you can choose to do absolutely none of those things. I'm so happy to be connected to you or not be connected to you, as the case may be. As I'm saying these words, I find myself realizing that I'm saying these words because this is what gets said at the end of a podcast. Um, it's part of the script. But I also really value everybody's autonomy. I really value uh, the least amount of pressure possible. I don't want my invitation to be misconstrued as a pressure of any kind so there it is uh, i look forward to our space and time overlapping again as and when it does until then i wish you well sometimes uh, i wonder if when we talk we exchange <laughs> like, it just ends up like we like make a stew that we both end up like suffering from <laughs> yeah I don't, I don't know, know how else to say that <laughs> yeah yeah I'm with you I mean I think it's like ultimately a good thing but yeah it's a thing right yeah mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. oh you want to talk about it at all